0: You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 53 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. The super changes as of 1st of July 2017 are done and dusted, sort of. I think a few of us, including myself, still have some patches here and there where we are walking on thin ice. I met with Daniel Mikhail of Partnersworth Group in Sydney to get a better understanding of these topics that received less limelight in the past. My first question to Daniel is what changed regarding lump sum commutations? Here's his answer.
1: Lump sum commutations no longer count towards the minimum pension. So what people were previously doing is taking lump sum or taking a lump sum commutation and that could count towards your minimum pension that you're required to take. So under the changes from 1 July 2017, those lump sum commutations no longer count towards your minimum pension payment.
0: And a lump sum commutation is when I move it from pension phase to accumulation
1: phase? No, it's, it's, it's a lump sum withdrawal.
0: Why did they change? it? Why does it matter whether I label it as a pension or as a lump sum? And i tell you why, because until now... Most of my clients didn't take a pension, you know, where there was a monthly payment. They took a lump sum at the end of the year when we had worked out what their minimum withdrawal is. And we labeled it as a pension, even though it was just one.
1: Yeah, one payment.
0: One payment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why does it matter whether we labeled it as lump sum or as? Pension, does it matter because the lump sum commutation then is a debit to the…
1: Transfer balance cap, correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. So a lump sum commutation does count as a debit towards a transfer balance cap, whereas a pension payment doesn't. So when you take a lump sum payment out of your super fund, assuming you're you're in pension phase… You can either decide whether that is a pension payment or a lump sum commutation. Okay. All right. Now if it's a lump sum commutation then it, it doesn't count towards your minimum pension payment. So obviously to to get the tax exemption status on your on your pension, you need, you need to be able to, you need to draw the minimum before you can qualify for the, you know, tax free status on all your earnings within your pension.
0: Okay, so it means one should basically always just take the minimum as a pension and then the rest as a lump sum commutation so that you get the TBC down again in case you ever want to convert more money into pension phase.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. The, the other change is that pension, pensions can, can now only uh, be in the form of cash payments. So what you could previously do is, you know, in specie assets out and, and deem those to be pension payments. You can no longer do that, so they have to be in the all pension payments need to be in the form of cash and cash only.
0: But the lump sum commutation can be in specie Correct
1: can be in space Yeah. Or in cash. Or in cash. Correct.
0: Why did they change that? Why did they make it a cash requirement? Because it basically means you can't get the assets out of the SMSF anymore. Let's say there's a property in the SMSF, and for some reason it makes more sense now to hold it outside of the SMSF yep. for tax reasons yep. or similar. Now you can no longer get it out
1: as a pension payment. As a,
0: yeah, as a, as a lump. Oh, no, you can still get yeah, it out yeah, as, a, as lump a lump sum computation. You can. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, but as a pension payment, because you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't yes. get the tax exemption status on the transfer, and also meet all the pension minimum pension requirements, and then move it. Move it outside super.
0: Uh, CGT relief. Yeah. Yep. You basically got that.
1: That that exempt. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And then of course you can't then move it outside of super. Taking this nice CGT yeah, exemption that's right. with you. that's
1: right. That's exactly okay. right. I mean, look, most people, from what I see anyway, take their pensions in the form of cash. It's very rare that I've seen anyway where people would take their pension payments in the form of an asset transfer.
0: The only scenario where I have seen it discussed hmm. is when somebody wants to take the whole property outside of Correct. the SMSF, yeah. but then you can do a lump sum commutation in right. That's exactly right. Uh, Still hasn't been decided whether you can move the TRIS into an ABP or whether you first have to end the TRIS and then start the ABP? The ATO is still claiming that you can't do that?
1: Yeah, so if you've met a condition of release, let's say attained age 65, I think it should automatically convert from a TRIS into an account-based pension. Now, this is all going to be subject to... Uh, if you if in this case a self managed super fund what your deed says if it's a retail product i know some of the retail products we use they automatically move from a TRIS into an account based pension so it's, it really is going to depend on the deed and what the trustee uh, decides is appropriate
0: mm. yeah i have the impression that the ato says you can't do that but class for example allows a direct transfer yep. Yep. You you refer to the retail funds doing a direct yep. transfer. So no, I look, the, it just makes industry. sense. I mean, the if, industry if, if, kind of ignores correct. that. Correct.
1: So. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right.
0: The ATO view it just does it anyway.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. I think it just makes sense. If you've genuinely met a condition of release, why would you need to shut down the pension, move the, back the to accumulation? Shut, shut yeah. down
0: the trust and then move
1: back to accumulation and then go mm. into an account based But it, it just seems ridiculous. So one of the big change with the trisses
0: No longer exempt.
1: No longer exempt, uh, which is which is huge. So I guess where a lot of people have used trisses is, you know, where your salary sacrifice part of your income and you draw a pension out of your super fund to supplement your income. It's still an attractive strategy. I've got a few clients who are still doing that. Obviously, the total benefits of the of the overall strategy have reduced significantly because there's no longer the tax-free earnings within the pension.
0: So the the benefit is basically just that the tax rate is down to 15%? On
1: the, the contribution. On the contribution. Correct. That, that's purely the benefit at the moment, uh, whereas previously it was the, the difference in the tax rate between the, the member and the, well, yeah, the difference, with well, the tax arbitrage between client's marginal rate and the 15% contributions tax rate. As well as the tax-free earnings on the on the pension, that used to be the benefit. Now it's purely just the the tax arbitrage between the, the client's marginal rate and the contributions tax of fifteen percent. So it's it's still, you know, it's not a bad strategy to still continue with. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a case by case basis now in terms of whether you continue with a a recycling strategy, if I can call it that, where you've got a beneficiary who has not satisfied a condition of release, the benefit must be credited back to the deceased accumulation account, and then from there, the beneficiary can then decide to take it as a lump sum or take it as a death benefit pension. Now, the ATO is currently looking at this. So we're in situations where you've got, um, particularly those who've got reversionaries in place, and the beneficiary is not a um, or well, has not med- not satisfied a condition of release, they're not able to take that pension or continue to take that pension. That pension has to go back into the deceased member's accumulation account, and from there, the member, would, well, the beneficiary would then decide as to whether they want to take it as a lump sum or as a death benefit pension.
0: And why does it matter whether the payment is made out of accumulation after the pension has been moved back to accumulation? Yep or whether it's paid straight out of the pension account. Well, it's effectively
1: starting a new pension. So when it goes back to accumulation, let's assume the beneficiary wants to take it as a pension, you're effectively starting a new pension. So that can have implications for Centrelink because of the way, uh, previously the way account-based pensions were assessed under the old rules. The more favourably assessed under the old rules, they're obviously less favourable now. So if you're restarting a new pension...
0: I see the new rules. You, you'll,
1: right. be, you'll be assessed under the new Centrelink rules, not under the old Centrelink rules, which are unfavorable, potentially unfavorable, in this case to the beneficiary.
0: When a member dies, yep. his entire account balance is moved back to accumulation, yep. and then the beneficiary can decide what they do, unless it's a reversionary pension, isn't it? If it's a reversionary.
1: Well, if it's a reversionary and the beneficiary has met a condition of release. No problem.
0: Okay, but then they haven't met? They
1: haven't met. At the moment, it has to go back to accumulation, and then the member can start a new pension, new death benefit pension, or cash it out as a lump sum. Now, the ATO is looking at this. So they, I think with the view of that, you know, if if the beneficiary has not met a condition of release, the beneficiary should be able to continue to receive that reversionary pension. So that's what the ATO are currently reviewing, but we haven't got any uh, decision, yet. decision yet on that. So we now talk about event-based reporting. So from 1 July 2018, trustees of self-managed super funds will now have to report to the ATO in relation to people with member balances over a million dollars. So in cases where members have balances of less than a million dollars, the SMSF can report that information at the same time of when you're lodging the annual return. So that's no issue there. But
0: at the moment, it's not part of the uh, annual no. return. It's no. a separate
1: logic. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where members have over a million dollars in terms of member balances, they must report events affecting the members' transfer balance within 28 days after the end of the quarter in which the event occurs. Mm. So events that I guess um, some of the events that actually trigger the reporting, things like starting a retirement pension, commutations, so they're they're typically the the two most common. Uh, Things that you don't have to report are things like pension payments. They're not reportable events.
0: And I think not even death.
1: No, death of a member is is certainly not not a reportable event. Investment gains or losses are not reportable events either. So, yeah, the two biggest ones would be starting a retirement pension and – Commutations from your pension.
0: Yes, and investment gains or losses are not reportable because they don't affect the transfer balance.
1: Cap. No, no, they only
0: affect the transfer, um, the um, total super balance. Correct, but they don't affect the uh, transfer,
1: transfer. balance, balance cap. cap. Yeah. So the transfer balance cap is if a client's got one point six million dollars in super and they decide to to start a pension, they've used up their entire transfer balance cap. So if in twelve months' time, you know, we go through a GFC, and that one point six million dollars super balance is, is now sitting at a million dollars. They can't then put in another six hundred thousand dollars to bring them back up to the one point six. They've used their transfer balance cap, and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no there's no putting in any additional funds back into into the pension phase anyway. Because
0: the TBC is a point in time, correct? It's not a revolving line. That,
1: that's exactly right. But the, well, what? But what? It does open the so if that balance went from one point six to one million, that opens up, provided you know they've met all the other requirements, that opens up the 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 scope to make non-concessional contributions. So there's transfer balance caps, and there's total superannuation balance, and they're two different things. So total super balance determines your eligibility to make non-concessional contributions into super. Your transfer balance cap is how much you can put into the, the pension, pension phase. So the the, the the total super balance is always assessed at the 30th of June at the end of each financial year.
0: And that fluctuates with investment gains Correct. and losses.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And it also includes the accumulation account.
1: Correct. It's all of your superannuation balances combined, whether it's in self-managed or retail. It's the combination of all your superannuation balances and it's important for accountants to be aware of any other superannuation balances that the client may have, or at least get them to sign off to get the client to sign off that what they're telling you is accurate. Because if you're dealing with a client that's on the cusp, let's say one point five nine, and and the client for whatever reason hasn't told you that they've got another superannuation balance, else whether it's a defined benefit or, or otherwise, let's say twenty or thirty thousand dollars and you recommend for that client to make a $100,000 non-concessional contribution because you're thinking that their total super balance is under 1.6 and they make that contribution and then realize down the track that there's this other super balance sitting in the sitting somewhere else which the accountant wasn't aware of that can have obviously consequences to the client uh, and can potentially come back to come back to the accountant so um, yeah it's something that you know you need to be aware of and to make sure that the client is is giving you all information that they know about their, their, their superannuation affairs. Yep.
0: So that could be an issue with lost, with lost yeah, super. Yeah, definitely. Because I think there are billions and billions of dollars sitting in lost super.
1: Yep. Yep. There's that, and people may be under the misconception that their defined benefit funds don't count towards their total super balance, Mm. when that's incorrect.
0: Mm. Or they might think that the total super balance is only about the SMSF and what they do on the side, doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, you you need the full picture. You need the full picture of all their superannuation balances, whether they're in defined benefits, self-managed or retail. Mm. You you need the the full picture.
0: So the total superannuation balance has two purposes. One is to see whether one can still make non-concessional contributions or not. And then the other purpose is to see... How events based reporting takes place. If the total superannuation balance is over 1 million, then the reporting needs to happen 28 days after that quarter where the events took place. If the total superannuation balance is below 1 million, then it's enough to report it at year end. Correct.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: I actually misunderstood what the ATO said. I thought if the total superannuation balance is below 1 million, Mm. you don't need to worry about events-based reporting at all. But that's actually incorrect. You still need to do – everybody needs to do events-based reporting. You just
1: Uh, – It's done annually. Yeah, annually. that
0: really surprises me. I I had in my mind that you only need to do it if your total superannuation balance is over 1 million.
1: Yeah. Under 1 million, you need to still do it, but it's annually, so it's less onerous. Mm. Over 1 million, then you're doing it at the end of each quarter. Mm. Yeah that's essentially what the rules are. I suppose where else the the total super balance comes into play is those catch-up concessional contributions that you can make and I think that kicks in from 1 July 2018. So under that you can uh, as you're aware you can make 25k concessional contributions for people who have superannuation balances under $500,000. If they haven't utilised the full 25K concessional cap, they can effectively carry that forward into future years for up to a period of five years and make catch-up contributions in future financial years.
0: Plus the three-year three, three bring-forward rule for non-concessional
1: That's in addition to that. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. So where that might be of benefit to clients is... You know, if you if you're under the balance of 500 and you haven't utilised the full 25, and let's say you sell on your investment property and there's a large capital gain, you may look to offset part of that capital gain by making a large concessional contribution in that financial year into super, because all of a sudden what you're doing there is you're redirecting into you're redirecting part of the capital gain into super, which is taxed at 15%. Uh, rather than being taxed at your marginal rate, which is more than likely going to be higher than fifteen fifteen percent, so it's it's a way of taking advantage of those catch up contribution catch up contributions due to come into to effect one from one July this year. That's where the total super balance comes into play again, because mm-hmm. you've got to have your total super balance as at the thirtieth of June. Under $500,000 in order to be able to use hmm. those catch up contributions.
0: Yeah. Okay, so there are three purposes for the yep. total supervision Correct. balance. Do you see less of your clients going into LRBAs now with the changes?
1: I, I think that the, the main detractor for people using LRBAs is the interest rates now on, on, the, on the loans and, and, and banks making it harder to, to obtain these loans.
0: I see. So it's not actually so much that the regulations have changed around LRBAs?
1: No, no, not at all. It's Isn't more that- so what APRA have done within the banking space. For instance, now you've got to put down at least 20 to 30% deposit. The interest rates are a lot higher than what we've seen over the last two years.
0: So it just doesn't make economical sense anymore? Uh, it, it can
1: still, but you've got to, as I said, people have got to stump up a lot more to meet the bank's requirements. In addition to what I've just mentioned, now you've got to leave 10% of the property price in cash after settlement. So not only have you got to put down 20%, 30% deposit, but you've also, after settlement, got to have 10% of the purchase price of your property sitting in cash. And banks want to see that because they want to see you've got the liquidity you know in, in the event that the property's not rented or whatever because now with all the concessional non-concessional contribution caps being compressed you know clients are now limited in terms of what their or their ability to 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 put in additional contributions to keep the LRBA going again in the event that it's not rented or or you know the super fund needs a top up of cash for whatever reason you're constrained by those caps in terms of what your ability to put money into the system Uh, So banks are conscious of this, and that's why they're making sure that you're retaining a a sufficient amount of liquidity within your fund after settlement. Essentially, so the super fund doesn't run into any cash flow issues, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the whole equation when we're looking at LRBAs is looking at the cash flow and making sure it can take care of itself with the current contributions, and we also stress test it for at least a 2% increase in rates because, let's face it, rates are rock bottom at the moment and we're not going to be in this environment for oh, I think much longer I think eventually rates will start to go up and that's going to have even more pressure on people who have LRBAs because again
0: the cash needs to come from somewhere from somewhere
1: yeah and if, obviously if it's not coming from the the tenant in if it's a if it's a investment property then the members need to make up for it somehow and whether that's liquidity existing liquidity inside the fund. If that runs out, then ultimately the members are going to have to make some contributions at at some point in time.
0: To avoid the LRBA, a member buys a property jointly with the SMSF, so half of it is held in an individual name and half of it is held by the SMSF. And then the portion in the member's name has a mortgage on it, but the portion that's in the SMSF doesn't doesn't have a debt on it.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that. And look, that can be an issue because if you want the the property to end up in the SMSF eventually the SMSF can't actually buy the members' portion
0: unless it's a commercial property. Unless
1: it's a commercial property, yeah. If if it's if it's a residential property, then you got related no party, Yeah, you got a related party issue. But mm. if it's a commercial property, commercial property is fine. Yeah, mm. commercial property because that's
0: fine. what happened. Then the member then contributed another. Quarter into the SMSF. That's right. It was a three year bring forward rule.
1: That can always work. (music) Another risk is if you believe the polls, it's looking like that there might be a change of government next year. If Labor does get into power, then what implications might that have on limited recourse borrowing arrangements? From what I've read and from what I've heard, I don't think they're huge fans of.
0: It's unlikely that they would change anything retrospectively. So it no,
1: no. New LRBAs, correct. that yeah.
0: are in place should be all
1: right. Oh, I, I'd be pretty shocked if they did it retrospectively, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So there's always that risk. A change of government could change the rules, which could mean that limited recourse borrowing arrangements may not, may not be around uh, in the future. So that, that's always an unknown. Also, in relation to related party borrowing arrangements, so that's where a member would on lend money to the super fund, We've seen the ATO bring out those safe harbour rules, so that means where they've got to charge certain interest rates, got to be commercial. So basically the arrangement between the member and the self-made super, it's got to be on a, on a commercial basis. No longer can you just make up a rate or make up the terms. Uh, it's got to be based on something commercial. As an example, we had a client, a recent example, where they wanted to buy a, uh, a unit. And the unit was uh, on company title, which is very rare around Sydney, um, but they they do exist. So that's basically you're not actually what, what you're in effect buying is a, is is a share in a company, which entitles you to the unit. And
0: and it's rare because if you ever wanted to live in the unit, you wouldn't qualify for the main residence CDT.
1: Potentially then. not. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So. When banks look at that, they look at it as if you're borrowing money to buy a share, not to buy an investment property. So they're not looking at what the underlying asset is. So because of that, there's a higher risk and therefore a higher interest rate that's attached to that. So what we did with this client, because they wanted to you he wanted to use his mother as the as the lender, so to speak, to the super fund. So we had to go out and find a commercial lender that who, who was prepared to do to lend for that purchase. And basically, quote us a rate as to what they would prepare to lend the money at, and we use that as the benchmark rate for the, the arrangement mortgage. between the, the mother and the, the self-managed super fund borrowing the money.
0: Banks are very nervous about property that sits within a company. Yeah. Because, although why are they nervous? Because they could have the mortgage. They could still. They've have
1: got the, the mortgage, mortgage on the, the share. share. Yeah. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. They
0: only have the mortgage on the share, yeah, which don't have,
1: look the underlying don't, asset is. Yeah. Is the property, but if you look at it on paper, and uh, you look at and you look at the contract of sale, it's actually buying a share, okay, because it's company title. And
0: that of course is for the bank a lot and harder to control, yep. than the actual sale right. of, of the property. Yep,
1: exactly, precisely right. Yeah. So that that was an interesting one uh, that you don't come across every day. So it certainly through added some complexity to the overall arrangement. You know, thinking that it was it was going to be straightforward because it's on company title, but no, it added a bit of a complexity to it. You know, there's been, I guess, some talk around there that self-managed super funds are driving up the property market, and um, they're the contributors to, or, or part contributors to um, the
0: housing crisis, the, or the housing affordability.
1: affordability issues that we're seeing, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. So, if we look at some of the stats that I guess have been released by the ATO, you know, SMSFs and LRBAs as at 30 June 2016 represented 25.4 billion. Interestingly, there was a 50 50 split between residential and commercial property.
0: Do you think that's representative of investments in general in SMSFs?
1: Well, I mean, look, you do get a lot of clients that, particularly those who are self employed, need a business premises they may have their business premise already and they transferring that business premise into a self-managed super fund because it's more tax-effective to do it that way. Or people who... the so, land-
0: so quite a high percentage of property in SMSFs would be commercial.
1: Well, I, you tend to sit amongst the self-employed, definitely, whereas your mum and dad sort of clients, it's more residential because that's what they understand. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think... It's interesting to see there's a, an even 50 50 split between residential and commercial. Uh, that's what the ATO were telling us anyway. I would have thought personally it would be more of a residential, a bias more towards residential over commercial. But yeah, I can certainly see where the commercial element comes from. I think that's you'd see that more amongst your self employed people for sure. So when you put that into context, um, you know, the, the, the housing market is just over $6 trillion. So. The fact that SMSFs in LRBAs at 30 June was $25.4 billion. it doesn't really... Well, I mean, it represents 0.2% of the housing market. So you know, I think it's a big stretch to say that you know SMSFs are contributing to the housing crisis or the housing affordability issues, uh, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. On to limited recourse borrowing arrangements. As it stands now, the outstanding debt does not count towards the total super balance so as an example if we've got a a, pro- a property in the fund and that's the only asset in the fund and it's worth let's say $800,000 and there's debt against that of $300,000 which gives a net value in the in that super fund of 500 so it's the 500 that counts towards the total super balance not the 800. So effectively, the, de- the debt does not count towards the total super balance. That's currently under review. Some people have been a bit clever, and what they've been doing is, you know, let's say your balance is 1.6. What I've heard or seen some people do is withdraw your $300,000 out of your super fund to bring your super fund from 1.6 down to 1.3. You then use that $300,000 that you've just withdrawn out of your super fund to then on-lend that back to your super fund under the limited recourse borrowing arrangement. Right, which then gives you the capacity, or opens up the the opportunity to then make non-concessional contributions, in so because now you're under the one point six, because theoretically or technically your balance is no longer one point six, it's one point three because you're taking off the the debt. Yeah, that's currently under review, so I think they're going to plug that <laughs> that little loophole. So get in while it lasts. Also. Limited recourse borrowing arrangements established post 1 July 2017 and in the pension phase will have repayments that are made from the accumulation component actually count towards your transfer balance cap, right? So that's, um, yeah, any limited recourse borrowing borrowing arrangements that, that, uh, uh, that that have been established from 1 July 2017.
0: Can you explain that again to me? If you service the LRBA out of the accumulation yep. account, that counts towards the transfer balance? Card. Correct.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, because otherwise you're using part of your accumulation component and there's an advantage there.
0: And you wouldn't make any payments out of the pension. No, no, because that's detrimental to it, the client. Yeah, yeah you, you would that's only right. make it out of accumulation. Correct,
1: correct. That's exactly right. So that will now count towards your... Yeah. Uh, and that, again, that was just a loophole that they closed.
0: And so from when does that come into effect? From the 1st of July,
1: 2018? 17. Oh, 17. Yep, so it's already in effect. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep.
0: And then Super Saver as well?
1: Super Saver, no, I wouldn't waste your time with that. Okay. No.
0: Because <laughs> I don't think anybody would do no, it. No, no,
1: no. It's not not a popular one. Yeah. It's too restrictive. once it's, Once it goes in, if you change your mind... The balance is locked up in super, and that's for young people because that's what it's targeted. That's who it's targeted towards. I mean, for, even you know, for me, if that was me, I'd be uncomfortable with that having my all, all those savings locked up in super. If I decide to change my mind and I want to buy a property, yeah. So I think it's too restrictive. The downsizer contributions. So that's whereby uh, over the age of sixty-five at the time and the client is looking to downsize home, and I say downsize in inverted commas because you don't necessarily need to downsize your, you can your home upsize. in value. You can actually upsize as well. So I think the, the key thing is here is if you sell your principal place of residence and you're over the age of 65, uh, and this has got to occur post-1 July 18, so this is coming to effect 1 July 2018, you need to have held the property for at least 10 years to qualify for this so what it enables you to do is or enables a client to do is put in up to $300,000 of contributions in the super. Now these contributions importantly do not count towards your non-concessional contribution cap or your concessional cap. They're over and above those caps.
0: Mm-hmm. But do they count towards the TBC?
1: The transfer balance that's a transfer balance cap is if you're
0: Oh, I see. So if it goes phase. into accumulation. Correct. So I can put it into accumulation. Yep. But whether I can put it into pension phase or not will then depend on the TBC Correct. transfer balance. Correct,
1: that's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. So it's it's $300,000 per person. So if they're a couple, obviously it gives you scope to do $600,000. Well, I guess one thing that people should be aware of is if you sell your home, let's say your home's worth a million dollars and you down, and you genuinely downsize to a house worth, uh, I'll, I'll use an example of $400,000. So you've got $600,000 that you've just freed up which,
0: yeah, 300 plus 300 is 600.
1: Yeah, yeah, so each member of the couple can put in 300 each. But you've got to remember the house is exempt for Centrelink assessment for age pension purposes. If all of a sudden you're moving $600,000 from, from an asset that was previously exempt, exempt for Centrelink purposes into an environment, i.e., super, which is accessible for Centrelink purposes. You might lose the pension. You might lose the pension, or have your pension significantly reduced. So you've got to consider all the other implications that might have by downsizing home. Now, if you're buying a house of a, for 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 an amount that of an equivalent value, so you're moving from a house for a million dollars to a million dollars, so you haven't freed up any cash as such, but you might have a spare three hundred thousand dollars sitting in cash, which you which you want to get into super. You can still do that. The money doesn't necessarily have to come from that sale. That sale of the property. You just the, the trigger to these to getting access to this downsizer contribution is that you need to have sold your principal place of residence. So we've ticked that off. You uh, you need to have held your house, as I said, for, t- for ten years, and you must be over the uh, over the age of sixty five. So, provided you've met all those con- those conditions,
0: you can contribute $300,000 300, each. It doesn't matter where Correct. the money actually comes. from. That's exactly
1: from. right. That's exactly right
0: It could also come from Liechtenstein or
1: yeah that's exactly right <laughs> So we've been asked the question does it have to be a house can it be a caravan or a houseboat or or even a mobile home so it, ha- it actually has to be a house It's basically the house that qualifies for the um, the main residence exemption so if you qualify for that you automatically qualify for this so if it doesn't qualify for the main CGT main residence exemption, then you don't qualify uh, for the downsides of contribution. Important note is you can only do it for one home, so it's not like you can keep chopping changing homes, and that opens up the door again to another three hundred thousand dollar contribution. No. So it's
0: like the first home buyer bonus, or so I think you can.
1: You're- yeah, well, you can only claim that once too. That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this is a one-off opportunity, if you like, to to, to use it. If you don't use it, then you lose it. So, uh, but you can only use it once. That's that's the important point there. The final point here is the contribution must be made within 90 days of receiving the proceeds from the from the sale of the home. Uh, so it's important that if people are going to take advantage of this that they get the 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 proceeds into super within that ninety day period. Otherwise, as I said it won't qualify under this scheme. Yeah, so essentially these are the sort of the key superannuation changes. Transfer balance cap is, is one. Your total super balance is, is probably one of the most important ones now, particularly if you're looking at contribution strategies for clients.
0: And I think the total super balance gets a little bit forgotten. I find we yep. all have been completely focused on yep.
1: the that, that is cap. I reckon that is the most important one is the total super balance because that's where you can easily make mistakes because if you're not getting the full picture of a client's total superannuation position – And and as I said earlier, and you're making contribution recommendations, then there's serious consequences if you get that wrong. So um, I think your total super balance is very important these days, something to be, be mindful of, very mindful of.
0: Welcome back. I hope you found this helpful. We probably should look more into Centrelink rules soon since they keep being mentioned when talking about super. In the next episode, episode 54, Kevin Bungart, the CEO of CLASS, will talk about the story of CLASS, how it started, where it currently is, and where it is going. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.